0: awesome. Well, welcome here today. My name is Tom. It's great to see you all here today. Really, really good to see you. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I've I've been known to drink a coffee or two. I am inspired by self-giving love. I see it around me in ways that are sometimes hidden, sometimes bold. This last week or two, Ethan's been writing a paper for high school and on, on William Wilberforce, and, and I was reminded this incredible evangelical activist who worked tirelessly at great personal cost to his health, to his life, his whole life given to fight for those who were being crushed by the slave trade or being crushed in poverty. I think about the brave men and women who during the civil rights era stood up and challenged racism and bigotry, and sacrificed so much to see freedom come to others. When I was a young man, I was very inspired by stories that I would hear and read and were told to me of men and women and their families who would, who would leave the comforts of home and go to remote places to share the good news of Jesus with people who, who would never have heard about Jesus. And the stories of their sacrifice, stories of people like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Jim who lost his life at 29, and Elizabeth who continued on the work, stories like Hudson Taylor or Jackie Pullinger were very inspiring to me. Over the last few months, we've witnessed self-giving sacrifice from women who, at great personal cost, brought sexual assault out of the darkness and into the light. The hashtag MeToo campaign sliced through Hollywood Congress, Parliament, business, sports, like a holy knife through rancid butter. We're still seeing it come out. Last week, I was deeply moved to listen to the testimony of Rachel She She's a a former gymnast, now a a mom, a practicing Christian. She offered final remarks to the trail of her perpetrator, a, a doctor of a bunch of little girls, little gymnasts, and he had abused them for years, hundreds of them. She offered her final remarks at his trial. She had endured personal shame, people not believing her, exposure, everyone knowing what had happened, ridicule as she brought this horrific sexual assault, not only hers but others to life, to light, sorry. And 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 she did that so that not only so that her story could be told, but so that others she was so motivated that others would be spared, other little girls would be spared from the same thing she'd experienced. And even more sacrificially, if you listen or read her testimony, she offered profound witness to the grace and forgiveness of Jesus for her perpetrator. I'm inspired by her self-sacrificial love. Widening the scope We're inspired by those who who make self-sacrifice a part of their calling. We're inspired by men and women who serve in the military, uh, firefighters. We're inspired by aid workers and social workers and people who advocate for those who who don't have anyone to advocate for them, and their self-giving is something that we all honor. But to be really truthful, when I was thinking about this this week, when I first thought of self-giving sacrifice, I thought of all of you. I really did. You were the first ones that came to my mind as I was reflecting on the story of Ruth, I'm inspired by you tired moms and dads who keep giving of yourselves selflessly over and over again when we all know that all you want to do is lay down and sleep. Did you think I was going to say die? Some of you thought I was going to say die. (laughs) We're inspired by those of you who sacrifice time to bring care to our elders, many of whom aren't seen anymore, many of whom have been forgotten, And you love them and care for them and listen to them and sit with them, read to them and sing to them in the final years of their life. I'm inspired by you men and women who refuse to play the gender power games, but humbly serve one another in love. I'm inspired by those of you who work all week like our worship team to pray, pray and plan all weeks, not just all week, but weeks to prepare and to plan and practice and, and pray and expect and, and get ready for all of you to gather in worship. I'm inspired by your self-sacrifice. I'm inspired by those who show up early Sunday mornings. Yes, our worship team, but our dream team members. I'm inspired by our Sound and Media guys, our children's ministry folks who show up early. Did I mention Self-sacrifice to be ready for all of us as we gather so that our experience here can be all that it can be. Inspired by your self-sacrifice. I'm inspired by those of you who take the big gulp, embrace the big awkward, and, and share your faith and trust in Jesus with your friends. That can be very sacrificial. I'm inspired by those of you who've continued to lay your life down sacrificially when your marriage has become difficult. I'm inspired by those of you who've been willing to set aside your personal preferences for how we should do church so that we can be the kind of church that welcomes people who wouldn't normally be comfortable in a place or a setting like this. It can be very sacrificial to embrace our calling as the Erickson Covenant Church to help people who are far away from God find and follow Jesus and not just be another, yet another gathering for a bunch of insiders a cozy little place where we can huddle up, but rather a place where people can discover who Jesus is and make the next step in their journey. I know that's sacrificial. I'm inspired by your sacrifice for that. I'm inspired by one of you who told me just last week, standing right back there with tears in your eyes, of someone who had long rejected Jesus, coming back to faith and trust. I'm inspired by that person because they sacrificed greatly, to see that happen. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by those of you who, who put your money aside, who actually take your hard-earned cash. Imagine that people are blown away by this, that you actually take your hard-earned cash and give it to organizations that are making a difference in the world, that you could even give it to a church. Can you imagine? Some of you don't realize how crazy that is, and some of you are experiencing the craziness right now. I'm inspired by those of you who've chosen to give up personal time to spend time with youth, your own youth, the youth of their their friends, inviting them into your homes and loving on them, who've who've given up personal time to spend among our youth here at Erickson Covenant Church who are reaching out to their friends. I'm also inspired by by our youth themselves who've stepped up into leadership and have tried to create a space so that their friends, so that the youth from our valley can find and follow Jesus. I'm so inspired by their sacrifice. And I'm inspired by you who decide on a regular basis, day in, day out, wherever you are, to love the people in your lives, to listen to the hurting, to invite them into 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 your inner circle, to to, to love on those who are confused or hurt or disgruntled or or just need someone to hear them. I am inspired by your self-sacrifice. I see it all over, and I want you to know that I honor you for it. We're starting this new massive series on Ruth, and. I was so inspired this week, which is what led me to think of all these things. I was so inspired by her courageous, courageous, self-sacrificing actions. Remember the story of Ruth? Some of you, it's more familiar. Some of you, this is a new thing. You haven't maybe spent a lot of time in the Bible, and I just want to bring it up to you. So Ruth is a short story. It's a great story. It's kind of tucked away earlier in the Old Testament. But it's this little short story, which we're exploring right now for, for a couple months, and it's set during a time of great political turmoil, great economic upheaval. In fact, the book that's right before the book of Ruth is the context in which the, the, the story of Ruth is, is sits. So it's, it's in, in the time of the judges, which was a time uh, when, when the people of Israel weren't, really, well, they weren't ruled by a king. And, and, and what we find in that book is that the, the theme of the day was the people did whatever they wanted to, to each other, to people around them. They, they, they did whatever was right in their own eyes. They did whatever they saw fit. And it was crazy. It was a time of great violence, ethnic strife, particularly violence towards women. Well, that was the setting for the story, the larger setting. Last week, we, we dug into the story and it began tragically with a woman named, named Naomi and her husband Elimelech and the devastation that came to their family. It all started with a famine which forced them to leave their their hometown, which was called Bethlehem. It meant house of bread, but the cupboard was empty. So they they, they left town. They were displaced food refugees, and they, they went up to another place called Moab, which was inhabited by people that they didn't like and didn't like them, but you go where the food is. So they moved, but it wasn't long after they moved, her husband died. She was left with two sons, displaced in a strange place, impoverished. But she found her sons, some local wives, That was a bit of a stretch for her, but she did it. But then, lo and behold, a decade passed and no kids came. And then her sons died. The life, as it were, came to an end. It signaled the end of her family line. In just a a few short verses right at the start of the story of Ruth, Naomi is left bereft of all hope for the future. And her interpretation, which we explored at more length last week, I encourage you to pick it up and listen to it, online at our church website or on iTunes, but um, her interpretation of what happened to her was very clear. She believed this. God has turned against me and my family. God is now my enemy. She couldn't believe there was any good news left in her story at all, and we can hardly blame her. From where she was sitting, didn't look good at all. But we know that her story isn't over, not just because we're only five verses in and there's a, a bit more story to read, We also know her story wasn't over because God wasn't finished writing her story, even though Naomi thinks that God has left her for dead. Her story wasn't over because Ruth, as we're going to hear today, refused to leave Naomi in spite of all Naomi's efforts to send her away. Her story wasn't over because God was up to something good in her, planning to bring grace and life and hope through her in ways that Naomi couldn't possibly imagine. My hope as we travel through this story, that those of us who feel like we are in a similar spot, like there's no good news left in our story, like we have just been left high and dry. We don't know if God exists anymore. And if he does, you know, he seems useless, if not my enemy. What's going on in my life? My hope and prayer is that as we walk through the story, that you too will discover the God who's present in your story. And so we continue this story today. After that tragic beginning, we now witness Ruth's, Radical choice, a choice to lose so that she can love, a choice on which the whole story turns. It is incredibly inspiring. But not only that, her self sacrifice actually points us toward an even larger story that God is weaving, the story that results in Jesus Himself coming. And so we begin in Ruth chapter 1. There's an insert in your bulletin, which you can follow along with, or maybe you have a Bible. Uh, You can open to Ruth, it's the eighth book in the Bible. All right, find it in Table of Contents as well. And then oh, you can even look at it on your phones. And I promise, I won't even think you're like posting on Facebook or something. You can read it on your phone. So there's an insert there. We're going to pick up today in verse 6. And I'm going to read from the same thing you have so that we're on the same page. I'm going to read uh, just verses 6 to 15 and then make a few comments, okay? Here it is. When Naomi heard in Moab, so while she was in Moab, heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, By providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you to your mother's house, home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. A few comments. I just want to help make sense of this. Naomi pushes hard to get her daughter-in-laws to leave her. Naomi wants a life for these women. And she knows that there is no life left with her. Naomi uses an argument that, can we all be honest here? That's a weird argument she makes. It's okay, you can say that. You can listen to this and go, that is the weirdest thing. Did, Did anyone else know this was in the Bible? She's talking about having babies who would grow up and marry her old daughter-in-laws this is weird stuff it's okay you can say that what it shows us is that this is all about commitment to preserve the family line we talked about this a bit last week you're going to hear it again but in this story in this time in this culture the preservation of the family line is everything everything's about that and naomi and elimelech's family line has died And so he pushes these two women away by contrasting their lives with her, which would have no hope at all, with the possibility of some hope were they to return to their mother's houses. This is very self-sacrificing on Naomi's part to send them away. She's an older woman. She's a widow. She's in poverty. She doesn't have the male protection that's needed in many ancient societies, in many societies today, but especially in that one, in a time of incredible violence and turbulence, and she's living in a foreign country, and all this is going on. She could have demanded that they stay, that they help her. She could have claimed age and status and relationship. She could have sought her own benefit, but she didn't do that. Because she wanted what was best, what was better, what was at least a chance for Ruth and Orpah. And she prays that God would be kind to them, that they might find another future in another family. In her prayer of blessing, Naomi hopes, prays that God would be kind to them. And I want to unpack this Hebrew word that's used here for kindness just a little bit. I do not do this to you very often. I really don't, don't think it's always helpful. But once in a while, there's a word that just doesn't really fully translate in English. And so I want to unpack it a little bit. The word here is kindness. In the Hebrew, it's, you got to say it just to feel it. It's, it's like it's like learning a new German word. But here, here it is. It's Hebrew. Even better, chesed. Yeah, try it. All of you have been wanting to cough in the message of you. This is your chance. Chesed. All right, so you get a little huh in there, and it, people just love it. Yeah. Okay, so the word is chesed, and it's a powerful word that, that means kind of all wrapped in one loving kindness steadfast love a compassionate self-giving others seeking love and it has a rich and complex meaning that no single english word can cover all the translators know this so when they come to it they take a stab at it by saying loving kindness or steadfast love It's quite a few different english words to try to capture try to get at it and it's more than just um a feeling it actually is it carries with it the word itself carries with it action. God or people don't just feel Hesed, they, they do Hesed for others. It represents courageous, faithful, compassionate, sacrificial action. We're going to see it come up again in the story of Ruth, which is why I draw your attention today. The point here is that Naomi thinks, believes even, calls on God to do Hesed for her daughters in law, even though she at this point believes that God is done doing Hesed for her. So after all this, Orpah decides she, she, she decides to leave. She, she hears the argument, the logic. She, was she wrong to do that? No. Orpah is being sensible, not selfish. She didn't want to abandon Naomi, but she could see the common sense when it's spelled out. She found the argument compelling. Her only hope for a future home was by going back to her past home. And when Orpah leaves but Ruth still stays, Naomi uses it as yet another pressure point. in Ruth is like, look, look, look at her. She's leaving. Go walk with her. She's going back to her, her people, her gods. Go with her. Orpah made the sensible choice. Sometimes people have contrasted her selfish choice with Ruth's selfless choice. But really the contrast is this, with Orpah's sensible choice and Ruth's crazy one. I mean, that's the real contrast that's going on here. Because what Ruth does next makes no sense at all. It flies in the face of all self-preservation. It flies in the face of any future kids, all social convention, all cultural expectation. Ruth decides on that day to throw her life away for the sake of being faithful to Naomi. And her words, when she did it, are immortal. She said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Ruth, counter to every instinct of self-preservation, commits her life completely to a widowed, childless, penniless, foreign mother-in-law. Some of you struggle to have dinner with your mother-in-law. She speaks your language and has lots of money. Ruth embraces a no future to be faithful that is self-sacrifice more than that she chooses to pledge her allegiance to Naomi's God and this is this is powerful because at this point in the story already you find out that no Naomi no longer believes that her God is for her anymore she believes that her God has raised his fist against her and so Ruth's radical choice to reject her roots to reject geography to reject language God's a future it comes down to a commitment to love one person And follow one God for the rest of her life. If Ruth is a love story. It's a love story of covenant faithfulness between one young widow and her widowed mother-in-law. The kind of love story that frankly has very little promise of a happy ending. And then to stop Naomi from any further resistance, Ruth makes an unbreakable vow. She goes right over Naomi's head to appeal to The Lord. And we talked about this last week. I'm going to draw your attention to it again. Wherever in your text it says the Lord in all caps. It's the personal name of God. Yahweh. They didn't write it down. They hid it out of respect for it. Blah, blah, blah. But it's the personal name of God. And it's, it's evoking her God to hold her to the commitment she's making. She says, may the Lord deal with me. May Yahweh deal with me. Be it ever so severely if even death separates me, you and me. And, and, and scholars say that, it, that the way it's phrased, it's like she, she does an action when she says it. It's like she says, may the Lord do this to me. Like cut my throat. May He do this to me if even death separates you and me. Other writers also tell us that Ruth is committing to be buried in the same family grave as Naomi. So that Even in death, they would not be separated. This like goes beyond till death do us part. Like, I'm going to be with you, baby, even in the ground. (laughs) How does Naomi respond? She gives up. She says, okay, this woman. All right. So when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem. But then what? They didn't know. Neither of them did. Well, they knew something. They knew they were going to be hungry. They knew they were going to be poor. They knew they'd be looked on with pity as people looked at them and thought, wow, isn't that sad? All hope is gone for that family. The only hint of a possible meal comes at the very end of chapter 1 where we're told that they arrive in Bethlehem, the house of bread, right at the beginning of the barley harvest, setting the stage for what's to come. But no one knew what what God was doing, what God was seeing here. What Yahweh was planning to do through these two widows, planning to do in them and through them and for them, no one, least of all these two. And yet, this is where we come to the heart of it all. God was, he was up to something good in them and through them and for them, something they couldn't see, something they couldn't possibly imagine. Two childless widows arrive in Bethlehem without hope, without family, without resources, and God was going to use them to change the course of history. I don't think there's anything more fantastic than that. God will use the unnoticed to do the unimaginable, and I hope you take heart in that. As one writer said, God's purposes for humanity are riding in the shoulders of two women the world believes has lost their ability to contribute. Huh. Wow. What God's going to do? They also think they've lost their ability to contribute, you understand. Unknown to them, God's grace was already in play. Naomi believed God had turned against her. And right there, yet right there, in the middle of her pain and loss and tragedy and abandonment, on that road to Bethlehem, God's grace was being revealed through this radical, self-sacrificing woman named Ruth. Now, how Ruth came to this destiny-altering choice is interesting when you think about it. It tells us something about Naomi's family. It tells us something about the way she was treated. I mean, Ruth had been part of a limelax family for over a decade at least, probably a little longer, could safely assume that she'd been shuffled off by a dad who didn't want to feed her anymore, and frankly, for whatever reason, she wasn't being picked up by any of the local boys either. Shuffled her off probably sometime in her teenage years. And she may, so she may have lived with Elimelech and Naomi's family almost as long as her own Moabite family. And after that time, she's witnessed enough grace and truth, even as this family struggled to eke out a living as poor refugees in a foreign land, even as death dealt them disaster, Ruth saw enough faith, enough witness to shift her allegiance. Whatever Naomi may feel about Yahweh now, Ruth must have been won over by the striking difference between Yahweh, this creating, delivering God of chesed faithfulness. The contrast between that God and the bloodthirsty, conniving maliciousness of the Moabite gods and goddesses, some of whom would demand child sacrifices to be appeased. She must have been so struck by the contrast. And more than that, her, just the way she responds to Naomi and the, even the, the weeping of both Orpah and Ruth, not wanting to leave her, it indicates something about how they must have been treated by her. You know, how must, how, the experience they must have had within that family. I think it probably contrasted with the family that they were raised in. That even though they hadn't come from good Israelite homes, these young women had been accepted in this family. They'd been included and loved and valued even when they had failed to produce children which you've got to know is super important, and yet somehow they were still loved and valued as people. This had had a powerful effect on Ruth. So on that day, standing in the middle of that dusty road, seeing those two paths diverging in front of her, one which promised a future and the other which did not, Ruth does the one thing that no one expects. Dare I quote it? She takes the road less traveled by. She does. She throws her lot in with Naomi, with Naomi's faith and with Naomi's fate, such as it would be. And what lies ahead for Ruth and Naomi? Poverty, a struggle to survive, danger, vulnerability, open to abuse, open to being used and open to being just all the things you can imagine and more. And what's more, Ruth looks forward to a long life devoted to one old woman with no chance of another future, with another family. It's an incredible choice. Would you have made that choice? Would I have made that choice? Ruth chooses to lose so she can love. She chooses to lose for Naomi so she can love Naomi. Ruth chooses at that moment to do Hesed for Naomi. And through that self-sacrifice, through her actions on that day, God then does Chesed for us And that's why we can call the story not just a book of ruth as it's commonly called But we can look at it as the gospel of ruth that somehow through her self-sacrificing actions God's love is revealed and through it. It points on to jesus himself This self-giving sacrificial love is a key to understanding the story of ruth We're going to see her making these kinds of choices again and again. In fact, we're going to see others in the story join her in making selfless, sacrificial choices for the sake of Naomi, for the sake of her family. And through it all, God's chesed love, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness giving the benefit to others, that kind of love will be revealed through the choices made in this story. I'm super inspired by her in at least two ways. One, of course, I'm inspired by Ruth to love others with the same kind of love that she loved Naomi even though I know I am far from it. I know, perhaps you do too. I know how often I put my needs ahead of others. Anyone else? I know how often I seek my benefit before I even think about the benefit of others. And I'm convicted by her selfless choice to love faithfully to her own detriment. I'm challenged by her it leads me to repent of my own selfishness, of the ways I always want to position myself, the ways I'm always thinking of what's good for me first, and ask God to fill me by His Holy Spirit with His chesed love, the kind of love that Ruth showed to Naomi. Do that for my family, my kids, my boys. To really sacrificially lay down my life for them. For you, for us, we, this church, it challenges me to lay down my life for you. It also challenges me as we lay down our lives for others. That we would be a self-sacrificing community for the sake of others. That we would even choose to lose so that we can love. It challenges me as I consider my love for my neighbor or my lack of it. Or those I'm praying who would come to know Jesus. Or those who interrupt me when I'm busy or call me after dark or text me when they shouldn't. Or, you know, the list goes on. Show up, whatever. Oh, am I talking about you or me? I don't know. You know what I'm saying, though? So I'm convicted by this because the Spirit tells me to love the way she loves, the way Jesus loves. Reminds me a few weeks ago, we talked about the year. And if you missed those first... I know a lot of you did. There were a lot less of you the first week, few weeks of January. Um, we talked about... That was no guilt. That was just an observation. Uh, we talked about starting off the year by setting our loves. Setting our loves. Our love for God and our love for others. And I was reminded of, of of that as I was thinking about this challenge. How Ruth's choice to lose so she could love inspires me to do the same. But I'm also inspired by this story of Ruth. To worship Jesus, to commune with him, to come to the table today. Because he's the one who would choose to lose all so he could love all. In fact, her action of sacrifice points ultimately toward Jesus himself. You know, Ruth chose to throw her life away for Naomi's sake. And her faithfulness points us toward Jesus who would also choose to throw his life away for us. Ruth chose to leave safety and embrace poverty for the sake of someone who wouldn't be able to protect or provide for her. Jesus even more so. Ruth resisted all the efforts to dissuade her from loyalty and faithfulness and Jesus, tempted and tried by all the powers of evil, overcame the resistance to become our deliverer, to become the rescuer of the whole world. Ruth's actions wove grace into one woman's hopeless story. But as she did so, she was herself pointing toward Jesus. She was literally making it possible because she's the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. She's literally making it possible for Jesus to come to be the one who would weave grace through all of our hopeless stories. And like Naomi, we can wonder when we're stuck in the middle of a mess, and I know that some of you feel like you're stuck in the middle of a mess. A mental health crisis, a a family crisis, a financial crisis. We can feel hopeless about the future. We can wonder if God has forgotten us, if there is a God at all. We can wonder if he's even turned against us. We can wonder if there's any good news left. And I know this. It can be very hard to see and even harder to believe. We can identify some of the hurts we struggle with. Some of us have struggled long with infertility. Some of us are still aching over the death of someone that we love and miss and care for. Some of us have health crisis after health crisis coming up. Some of us are wrestling still through the pain of betrayal and divorce. Or we feel like there's just something about life that is deeply unsatisfactory. The work we have, the jobs we've lost, the relationships just don't seem to be cutting it. Some of us are facing mental health struggles that keep keep resurfacing, keep resurfacing in our own lives, in the lives of our families, where we struggle with just feeling, frankly, just a place, like life, this place, like life just doesn't fit us. Right? I know that. And where's the good news in that? We can wonder. That's the crucial question. It hits us right where we live, right? Right where we hurt. My hope is that in this story, you will hear that the good news is revealed, ultimately, by the self-sacrifice of Jesus. Naomi could not, at that time, see the sacrifice of Ruth for what it was. And we, at many times, are unable to see the good news in the midst of our struggle. We know that. And yet, what we hear from this story, from the larger story of Jesus, is that even when we can't see it, God hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't left the mess. He's with us in the struggle. And Jesus came, God God saw us, and he said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send my own son, Jesus, who's going to enter into the mess, become one of us, sacrifice himself on their behalf, sacrifice his own life and hope and safety and everything for you and I so that we could receive everything from him. This is the good news. Ruth chose to lose all so she could love Naomi. Jesus chose to lose all so he could love all of us. That's the good news. It's not pretty news. It's not news that snap, snap, everything's sweet and light now. It's not that kind of good news. It's the kind of good news that comes to us, meets us in our pain, and calls us, even in the midst of our struggle, to lift up our eyes and see that God somehow, even when we can't see him, to trust that he's in the mix and he's calling us to follow Jesus who has promised, who has promised to work out everything, all the and the mess and the struggle and the sin. Work out everything that we are messing with and wondering where God is. Work out everything for our good and lead us, yes, through suffering, yes, through struggle, but to resurrection and freedom and life. Ruth inspires me to worship Jesus. And so today we're invited to come to the table in response to who Jesus is and what he has done. I'm going to ask Dana to join me at the table. We've been leading... um, at communion now for a few months through a, a liturgy that comes from, uh, from the covenant. Um, I like it. I recognize that for some of us that are still new to the church, new to faith, let me just say I'm really thrilled you're here. We actually want to do everything possible to make this an experience that would make you actually want to try us again. And so um, communion can feel like, whoa, I just stepped into an intimate family meal. I don't know if I belong. I want to tell you, we're glad you're here. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, this is for you. And if you're just, nah, nah, I'm just still checking things out, that's okay. The team is going to come lead us in a great song. You can just listen, reflect. If you want to talk to me, come talk to me, um, talk to Dana. But what we're doing here at the table is just simply responding to Jesus with gratitude and with thankfulness for his self-sacrifice for us. What I'm going to do is lead you, Dana and I are going to lead you through a little bit of uh, uh, some stuff. And there's, there's going to be words in the screen that will ask you to join us and, uh, and, and read together. Let me begin. It is now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly trust, put their trust in Christ and desire his help, that they may lead a holy life. All who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life following the commandments of God, walking from now on in his holy ways, are invited to draw near with faith and to receive this holy sacrament. As we come to the sacred table today, I'm going to ask that you would rise for our confession. It'll be on the screen and we will read it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone.
1: If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Now let us confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.
0: and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as they were delivered to us by the Apostle Paul. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread, And drink this cup. You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for your self-sacrificing love. That you would do chesed for us. And today, we come from a lot of different walks of life on a great variety of spiritual pathways. I pray, Lord Jesus, that today each one of us would see clearly who you are, and take a step toward you. And this invitation to come to your table would be a significant step of trust in you. We honor you, we give you praise and glory for being the one who would not leave us in our mess, but would join us in our mess, would take upon yourself our sin, our mess, our rebellion, would die in our place and rise again from the dead so that we could live forevermore. Thank you for your gift of grace and love to us. Become grateful and thankful today. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Um, At Erickson Covenant Church, we practice a form of communion that's known as intinction, which just means that when you come forward, we'll invite you to take the bread and dip it in the cup and then consume the elements yourself. All of this bread is gluten-free, so everyone's free to um, partake. We'll ask you to come through the middle aisle and down and we have an, an extra table in our midst, which is the hand sanitizer table. Um, it's flu season, and we have we have a lot of people among us who are who are vulnerable to the flu so we'll ask you to just sanitize your hands before you come to the table and that helps all of us to take care of our family um, and then you can come and receive communion and return through the outside. Uh, Tom's gonna serve our servers and our worship team and uh and then I'll make an invitation for you. My friends, come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak, not because you have any claim on God's on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for his spirit. This table is open. You're welcome to come.
2: a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of is the wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of this wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory.
0: love us that much, Lord, it is so amazing. We are unable in our small minds, with our small perspectives to fully appreciate how much you chose to lose so that you could love us. But even in our framed perspectives, even with our tiny little lives set in the stage of world history and all you have done we we want to say, Lord, we are thankful. We want to choose to be the kind of people who emulate your Hesed love to others. And I ask today, in the power of your spirit, that you would send us as your people. You would send us out, touched by your love. Those of us who follow you already, that we would commit again to sharing, to living, to doing Hesed for others. That you would... Enable us by your Spirit to help alter the destinies of others so that they would experience your love. For those of us who are here today who aren't yet sure, who are just, there are questions, there are fears, there are doubts. There's a journey yet to, to go on, to come to the place. I just thank you that that they are here. And I ask that as they go today, they would go feeling like they were encouraged and they was, there was new thoughts and 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 some things they want to mull over, some steps they want to take, so that all of us can experience more of the life you have for us. And so today we ask, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you send us? Would you fill us? Would we go with you? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to connecting with you over coffee, and hope to see you again next week as we continue our series in Ruth. God bless.